Well, I, uh, I'm feeling better, but I, I got some uh, sick voice stuff going on. Not real sure, laryngitis. I think it's just allergies. And so if you see me drinking water, making some weird noises, that's probably why. Or uh, if I just like stop and words stop coming out, Trace has said he would come up here and do like some power team stuff. So we got some phone books for him to rip, some uh, PVC pipe for him to bend over. He's like, you don't even know what power team is. That's unfortunate. So a, uh, a couple weeks ago, ah, more like a couple months ago, because it was spring and it was nice outside and that's been a while, Wells and I, we uh, decided we'd plant a tomato, okay? So we went to Callaway's, we got uh, our little transplant seedling, and then we got some soil, we got a bucket, much like this one. He had this, this cool little uh, gardening kit, and so he used it, and we had a lot of fun. It was a really nice afternoon of planting a little bit of a garden, okay? Things were off to a fantastic start until a couple weeks later, he comes to me concerned that his plant, our tomatoes, don't look so well. It's true, it's because they didn't, because I had forgot to water them for like two weeks straight. So I'm sorry, son, for my agrarian irresponsibility. But I told him, hey, dude, I know what to do. We're gonna go get one of these soil readers, okay? Amazon, of course. And we'll just put it in here, and then you see all these numbers here? Yeah, we'll Google what those means, because look at me, kid. Do I look like I've ever really lived off the land? Come on. <laughs> been in the suburbs my entire life, but Google will help us. And then we will add the appropriate nutrients, whatever, into it. And then surely our plant will begin to revive itself. And it did. And I share all that because sometimes I wonder if our faith looks a little bit like that. You're like, what? That seems very out of left field. Well, like I mentioned, when Wells and I went to the initial planting, it was awesome. We were having fun. We thought we were ready to live off the land because of one tomato plant. But then I got busy. Okay, we, there's, a, there's two human lives that Ashley and I have to sustain in our home, and so I kind of had to choose between the plant life and the children, and I went back and forth between Cooper and the tomato plant right now because, man, teething's a real thing, but priorities shifted. And, and sometimes with our faith, Right? We, we experience God for the first time in a unique way. And, and it's real and it's genuine and don't hear me discrediting any of that. But then it's usually followed by perhaps a season of some really intentional growth only to begin to plateau. Maybe because we get busy, priorities shift. For whatever the reason is, for a lot of us, this faith that was blossoming we stopped watering it, and then suddenly we look down and it feels stagnant. And so this morning, the question that I really wanna press into is why in certain seasons does our faith feel stagnant? And how do we respond? I think that's a lot of what is happening here in Colossians 2, verses six and seven. So I'll read verse six again, and we will continue on. So then, just as you have received Christ Jesus says, Lord, continue to live your lives in him. So when we received Christ Jesus, right? And, and, and by the way, this text right here is talking to, to believers, to, to folks who are part of the body of believers. But whenever you receive Christ, you acknowledge that his ways were better, right? And in response, you surrendered your ways to him. 
You gave your life to him, and in turn, he forgave you of your sins, right? He put shame to rest, and he secured for you a future in eternity with him. And yet, I think that's a lot of times about where our contemplation of the gospel of Jesus ends. Something in my past, something I have to look forward to in my future. Yet notice what Paul says. As you receive Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live in him. We continue in Christ in the sense that we remain, we abide, we walk with him, we tether our lives to him because the reality is the same spirit of God that called you to your father is the same spirit of God that you are continuing with every day. God's intent is not for you to experience Jesus just one time, okay? Students, you guys leave for camp tomorrow, are you pumped? Yeah, you're like, yeah, we're pumped. Hey, Trace. I have been to tons of student camps. So is Trace, so is Madison. We've all seen this, okay? We, we, we see God do incredible things. I mean, you guys know that you're going to a camp where the tagline is where people go to meet Jesus? Is that still it? That's what Mount Lebanon is, okay? Look for the sign, right? And you will have friends, you will have peers, maybe some of you sitting right here, you will experience the gospel, you will experience transformation in some really, really, really unique ways, but the temptation will be for that plant in which is established in your life to stop being watered. And what will happen is you'll get on this great, crazy kind of Jesus high, and then the plateau will begin to set in. But, but all I wanna tell you, your student pastors who are far better than me, they'll unpack a lot more of that, but here's all I wanna tell you right now, and I want you to tell your friends this at camp if they're not here. God's intent for you is not for the gospel of Jesus Christ to just impact you next week at camp, but rather his intent is for the good news of Jesus to affect every fiber of your being every day of your life, all the days of your life. And that's for all of us. The gospel has implications on tomorrow, on the meeting you have on the phone conversation you have, phone call you have. It has implications in the conversations and the decisions we make. It's not just the thing in between the timeline. It's not just the beginning and the end. And yet, I think that so many of us struggle with this because we have a bad view of lordship. You're like, what? Bad view of lordship? Think about what a lord is. By the way, it says that we receive Christ Jesus as lord. So if something is lord of your life, then you have submitted your life under the authority of that Lord. Fair enough. And so the whole idea of saying no, Lord, is an oxymoron. Think about it. If you say no, Lord, then you don't actually submit to that Lord anymore, right? And, and yet we often end up sort of in this no, Lord, and, and I, don't, I don't think many of us do it uh, consciously, but, but we often end up in this place where we sort of confuse or refuse the Lord, Christ, the Lordship that he deserves, and we end up living a faith that sort of looks like that thing in your house that you know you've had too long, but you can't get rid of it because there's some sort of value or nostalgia there. You guys have him. I know. I know, right? Maybe it's a teddy bear. You're like 18, and, and you still sleep with this teddy bear from when you are five, and it's kind of embarrassing, but, you know, there's, it's a comfort object, Right? 
And you would never, you would never take anyone to see it. You would never take it with you to school or to college. You would never take it out with you on a first date. You would never lead in young adults on a first date with, hey, my name is so-and-so and I still sleep with a teddy bear. Don't do that, by the way. Bad dating advice. Not that I have any good dating advice to offer, but basically what we end up doing is when we refuse God the lordship that he deserves, is we treat him as a sort of, hey, you can come out, you can be around the people I want you to be around, but whenever it doesn't work out, whenever it's not convenient, whenever it's not going to help me, I'm just gonna shove you back in the drawer, shove you back in the closet, and then I'll bring you back out when I need something. Effectively, what we end up doing is we treat God like a genie. We treat God like someone that we can just go to when we need something. We say, God, thank you for what you did in the past, can't wait for the future in heaven, but I kinda got it in between. So I'll just come to you. I'm sure I'll need you here and there, but, but let me come to you. That's a prop to leverage when you need something or when you're in need of comfort. That's not a Lord. And the reality is, when you received Christ, you acknowledged his ways are better than my ways. No one, hear this, no one comes to Christ still thinking their ways are better. So at some point you acknowledged his ways were better. And now you get to continue, not have to, you get to continue living under and in the sovereignty of his lordship all the days of your life. And I promise it's a lot better than any lordship you could find here on earth. So why does your faith feel stagnant? Maybe you stopped living under the lordship of Jesus. It might be that you no longer continue as you received Jesus as Lord. God has big, big plans for your life. He has big dreams for the things that you can do, that he can do through you if we continue in Christ Jesus. And so, why is our faith stagnant? At some point, we received and we stopped continuing. Like me, you stopped watering your tomato plant, started wilting a little bit. I wanna move into verse seven because there we have the response. And, and what Paul does here in verse seven is he uses a couple participles, class, do we remember what a participle is? Drew, do you remember a participle? I won't put you on the spot, but I love you. A participle is a verb that participates in the main verb. Okay, so what's the main verb here in this sort of thought by Paul in verses six and seven? Continue in him. And so effectively, what Paul is gonna do is he's going to give us a handful of ways in which we can continue to practice living under the lordship of Jesus. And so let's read verse seven, and then we will walk through a couple of these different practices. Verse seven says, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught and overflowing with thankfulness. And so the first way that we continue is we continue by planting deep roots. Paul in really the entirety of scripture frequently uses an agrarian language to point to a larger truth. And in this instance, Paul is likening, sort of symbolizing continuing in Christ as being some sort of plant or tree that is rooted. 
And, and you don't have to be some sort of horticulturalist expert to know that the livelihood of a plant is anchored in its root system. And, and its roots are only as healthy as the soil in which it exists. And, and here's the thing. We can sink our roots into a lot of soil. I mean, Christ talks about the four different soils in the parable of the sower, right? There's a lot of soils that we could plant our roots into. But there's only one soil that we've been designed for. If you've been around here for, for really any length of time, then you've probably heard our pastor, someone talk about 5Gs. And for us, 5Gs in a lot of ways is the ball game, and that's why we talk about it a lot. And, and 5Gs is essentially what we consider to be from scripture, the five marks of what it means to obediently follow Jesus. Okay, and if you've heard our pastor, Gary, mention 5Gs, I bet you five bucks right after he mentioned it, he said something like, they're not just boxes to check. And it's true, okay? The five Gs, gathering, grace, growing, giving, right? Those are not just boxes that we check because we think it's what responsible, good little Christian people do, but rather we acknowledge that whenever we received Christ for the first time, God rewired, he reoriented our affections to where we thrive whenever we are showing and experiencing grace. We thrive whenever we are gathering in places like this and in life group. We thrive whenever we are giving of our time, treasure, and talent. The soil that we are made for is the soil in which we routinely gather and give and grow and go. And so in a lot of ways, church, if, if, you, are a, if you are a member here and you're on mission with us and you're thinking about your soil, think five Gs. That's the soil that your soul, your roots thrive in. The invitation of the Father is to grow deeply in that soil. But the world has a different invitation. The world will invite you to be a tumbleweed. What's the one thing you know about tumbleweeds? They just blow all over the place, right? And in a lot of ways, <laughs> in a lot of ways, tumbleweeds don't really have roots. And if they do, they're clearly not very good roots, right? If your faith is, or your faith, if, if your life is kind of like a tumbleweed, and you probably just sort of move in whatever direction the cultural winds blow. One month it, it might be, yeah, sure, some belief in Jesus. Maybe it's followed by some moral philosophy and then maybe a little bit of Eastern religion. Uh, I, I learned this new term recently. Maybe it's a, a SBNR, spiritual but not religious, right? And then why don't we just sprinkle on maybe some horoscopes, a little bit of palm readers, and we'll just blow wherever the winds tell us to blow. That's the byproduct of a life that is not rooted. I think one of the most practical ways that we can think about what does it mean for our roots to grow deep is if we look and borrow an example from a giant sequoia. If you've ever been to Northern California, there's a, uh, if you've ever been to Northern California, I'm sure there's that picture of that cute little lodge. I've not been there, but it seems lovely. But there's the Sequoia National Park. And in Sequoia National Park, you can go and you can see the world's largest, tallest tree, General Sherman, okay? This tree is massive. It's like 250 plus feet. The entire trunk of it is 30 feet, okay? Some of these great sequoias, you can literally drive a car through. They are massive, massive trees. 
If you've never seen one, you've, you've really never seen anything like it, and it shakes you the first time you see it, and just its magnificence. And yet you would think that sequoias have really, really deep roots, and they do have very deep roots, but I don't know if any roots could go deep enough for a tree that's at 250 feet in the air to be fully supported by its roots alone. And so what sequoias do is their roots also go horizontally and they begin to intertwine themselves to other sequoia trees. See, God is not asking you to root your life in isolation. Being rooted really, really practically, it looks like the sequoias. It looks like planting in the soil that you were designed for and letting your roots intertwine with those who are walking in obedience with Christ. Being rooted, having your, your roots intertwined is a life that says, even when I just want to uproot and go be a tumbleweed, these roots that I'm connected to hold me down. They hold me in place. When everything is breaking and falling apart around me and I just wanna give up, these roots intertwine to me and they strengthen me. If you want deep roots, anchor them in the soil that God has made for you amongst the people of God. No one's ever planted their own roots, roots on their own. And you can be a tumbleweed by yourself, but you can't be a sequoia. Sequoias can't be isolated. They need each other. They need to be intertwined with one another. And if you wanna be a tumbleweed, it may work for a season, but then at some point, the winds of life, the turbulence of this world will become too much and you will find that you don't have enough strength and you will be uprooted. Which is why Paul's second point is that after we establish deep roots connected with those around us, we strengthen them. It says there in that second part of verse seven, strengthened in the faith as you were taught. And so how are roots strengthened? They consume the right nutrients. In 2004, a movie came out that shaped an entire generation of us millennials called Supersize Me. Anyone remember that movie? If you don't, I'd be happy to explain the very, very confusing plot. This guy named Morgan Spurlock decided he was going to eat McDonald's for 30 days straight, all three meals a day at McDonald's. He could only consume things that were on a McDonald's menu. If he wanted a bottle of water, it had to be a McDonald's bottle of water. Also, if asked to supersize, he had to supersize. And so at the end of this uh, documentary, you find out that he gained 25 pounds, he increased his body mass by 13%, and his cholesterol ro rose to 230 milligrams. I say that because our formation is a result of our consumption. You think about it, you consume 90 meals at McDonald's in a month, you're going to be formed a bit more roundly, I hate to tell you. <laughs> if you constantly consume Instagram and keep refreshing, keep refreshing, you're gonna be formed by the content on your feed and the algorithm on your Instagram. If you consume politics and divisiveness and the, the constant cycle of news and, and all of that that's happening, then you are likely going to be formed in the ways of fear and anxiety. The images, content, substance, relationships that we consume are the ways in which we are formed. 
And yet Paul is reminding us we have a different nutrient. We consume the faith that we were taught. And there we find our strength. And we know that for the church in Colossae, the faith that they were taught was the teachings of Epaphras. It was this very letter that Paul had wrote them. For us, we know that where we go to understand and to hear the faith in which we were taught is scripture. And so we have been designed to consume scripture and to let, to let that be the nutrients that form us. But here's the trap we often fall into. See, I can read a book about working out, but if I just read that book and I don't step foot into the gym, nothing's gonna change. It'll just be information, no transformation. And my fear is, is, is a lot of times we read this because we're good church going folks and we know that somebody's gonna ask us about our Bible reading time and we don't wanna lie. And so we read it, but it doesn't change anything about us. And so it's just information. But as soon as we begin to read this, not for information, but transformation, and we begin to practice the things that Jesus actually did and said, we begin to pattern our life around the rhythms and the ways that Jesus lived. I know it sounds crazy. When we actually do the things in here, then we begin to be transformed. And then what was information becomes the very nutrients that our soul craves. And like working out, it kind of stinks the first time, right? Okay, not fun. But as you do it more and more, it becomes more natural. And it's always gonna be challenging. Working out should always be challenging and living a biblically informed and centered life in 2023 or 2083. It's gonna be hard, but it gets easier the more you do it and the more that you routinely seek the nourishment of scripture, not as just information, but as transformation. I think a useful practice to do that is memorizing scripture. And that's why we have, we've asked you guys to memorize just two different verses. And I know this is an ESV. I promised I would preach from the ESV until on Thursday, Russell asked me about that. And I said, oopsies. <laughs> Sorry. But our, our uh, scripture for July is Colossians 2, 6 through 7. And what I love about memorizing scripture is when we memorize scripture, we simply become fluent in the language of God. And I know what some of you are thinking like, oh man, Colossians 2, 6 and 7, like that's a lot to memorize. How many of you students had to memorize the preamble to the Declaration of Independence? Okay, that's 52 words. I searched for you. This is 32, no, 30, right? So it's 22 words less, so if you memorize the preamble to the Declaration of Independence, I promise you, you can do this, okay? And if it so helps that you have to pretend like you're graded for, Madison has said she will gladly grade every one of you, and if you get it right, she'll give you one lollipop. <laughs> but memorize scripture. Let it become fluent in the language of your life, and you will find yourself being formed in the image of God. Your consumption results in the way of your formation. And so if you wanna plant your roots in the soil of the gospel, consume the nutrients of the Father, then you will live out of an overflow. And that's our last point, our last practice here that Paul gives us, and that we are overflowing with thankfulness. You see, in many ways, the harvest of a life that is strengthened by the faith that we've been taught is thanksgiving. 
If you think about it, the life that is overflowing with thanksgiving is a life that is keenly aware of the presence of God and is also desperate for more of God. John Piper has a quote that that says something along the lines of, God is doing 10,000 things in your life, but you might be aware of only three of them. Thankful people in so many ways are slow people. What do I mean by that? Well, thankful people, they're not in a rush because their heart is so deeply formed in gratitude that they constantly find themselves slowing down because they want to see more and more how the hand of God is working. And in so many ways, it really sort of becomes this this cycle of the more you slow down, the more you notice God. And the more you notice God, the more you want to slow down because you don't wanna miss anything that God is doing. And then suddenly, after you slow down just to see what the Father is doing around you, you think, man, I thought you were just doing three things, God, but turns out you're doing four, five, six, seven, 47 things in my life, and I would not have caught any of them if I just didn't slow down. Let me be honest. My biggest enemy to thankfulness is my pace. I move too fast. I miss, I miss half of what's happening around me, period. But I definitely know I miss a lot. Because God, God isn't interested in, in keeping up with us. He's interested in us slowing down to him so that we can see what he's doing, what he's doing. And I think thankful people are desperate people. Thankful people become desperate and they know that the day that they cease to be aware of all that Jesus has done for them, the day that they cease being grateful for all that Jesus has done for them is the day in which they stop living in the reality of all that Jesus has done. Plants don't need much, but what they do need, they're really desperate for. And whenever you plant your roots deep, whenever you begin to consume the nutrients that you were created for, And whenever you overflow with thanksgiving, you will begin to see that your life is not marked by scarcity, but fullness. Jesus talks about in John 10, 10, I have come to give you life and give it to the full. But how many of us believe that that's actually an option on the table? I struggle to. And yet, I do believe the way of full life is to plant your roots deep, be nourished by scripture, and overflow with gratitude. And I really can't think of a better way to sum up the good news of Jesus than by simply saying, he takes what is empty and he fills it. God sent Jesus to an empty, burdened, dark world of sin. And he lived a perfect life there. And yet, he was crucified on a cross, but rose again three days later. And in doing so, he made it to where every single person that feels empty can be fulfilled through restored relationship with the Father if they call upon the name of Jesus. And so this morning, if your life is marked by an emptiness and and you have been desperately thirsty 
for different things throughout your life, but everything you get your hands around and you try and drink in only makes you more and more parched and you don't even know where to turn. Maybe you're sick of even thinking that fullness of life is a possibility for you. Jesus, he takes what is empty and he brings fullness. He takes what is empty. He takes what feels abandoned and isolated and he breathes new life into. And I believe that he wants to do that this morning. In a minute, after I pray, Ivy will come up and she'll uh, dismiss us. And then in this glass room right behind you, we would love to have a conversation with you. Just come by and say like, I, that whole empty full thing, he, he didn't really make a lot of sense. He didn't really make any sense. It sounded like he was on a lot of cough medicines and stuff, but, but something caught me there and I wanna hear more about that. We'd love to have that conversation with you. And as we get ready to close, you know, I mentioned um, Wells and I, we got this soil reader to fix our plant. And I kid you not, I had the thought, eh, it'd be kind of nice if, uh, if they made one of these for like humans. <laughs> Could just plop this right into us and figure out what is the condition of the soil inside us. And you know, we don't get one of these, but what we do get is the spirit of God, which is, probably works a lot better than a 1099 little gadget at Amazon. And so hypothetically, if this soil reader was plopped into your life, what would it show? What would it read? What would it diagnose? Are you being formed in the ways of a life that is marked by deep rootedness? Or are you being formed in some tumbleweed kind of ways? question that you can ask yourself this week is what am I consuming and how is it forming me? What am I consuming and how is it forming me? That might work better than this. We've actually developed a little guide for you to use. We've adapted, I should say, from a book by J.D. Greer called The Gospel. And in that book, or excuse me, in that little resource, there's just some questions that, that we think can help you sort of drill in deeper to that question of what am I consuming and how is it? forming me. And as you walk through those questions, I would encourage you to be honest, okay? These little soil readers, they don't set out to be dishonest. They might be dishonest because they're cheap and not well made because they're $10, but they at least try to be honest and accurately diagnose what's going on. And so I would say the same thing to you. We don't need your Sunday school answers on your little soil reader for your life. We need honesty, right? And you need honesty. And here's the best part. It's not great. You don't have to show it to anyone. Just fill it out. Be honest before the Lord. Ask these questions, and they're, they're simply just questions like, what is one thing you most hope for in the future? Who in your life do you feel like you can't forgive right now? How is that forming you? What triggers depression for you? And then finally, as you do that, and as you begin to get honest before the Lord about what you're consuming and how it's forming you, don't do what my son did. And it's once we figured out what to do with our plan, he said, okay, why is it not looking any better yet? He wanted it to work instantaneously. I think a lot of times we want God to work a little faster than the ways that he's working. Posture yourselves in the soil that you've been designed for. Consume the right nutrients, overflow with thanksgiving, and rest assured 
that even in your spiritual stagnation, God is with you. And he's a much, much better gardener than I am. And what he sows, he tends to, and he reaps. God has never let a plant get beyond his control. And so if the Lord has formed you, if you have received him, he will continue. That's the promise we have. And so in the meantime, we continue under the lordship of Jesus. Let us pray. Father, we thank you that you are indeed good to us, Lord, and that you have given us a soil in which we plant our lives into, Lord, and in that soil we believe that there is abundant life. Father, we also thank you that in this room and through life groups for adults and kids and students and preschoolers, Lord, there are people here that we can intertwine our roots amongst. And Father, ultimately, we wanna be people who overflow with thanksgiving because people who overflow with thanksgiving, they see you. They see you moving and that's what we want, Lord. So Father, we love you. We pray this in your name, amen.